0: like I mentioned earlier, it's been an interesting few days, but it's been in, in a larger story, I think, that uh, many of the events that happened this week um, uh, need to be understood. And as we've been going through the Bible, uh, Genesis 1 through 11, and looking at the problems and the frustrations that happen uh, in the lives of, of us collectively as human beings, uh, we know that there is a lot of work that God has to do to redeem uh, er, each and every life and every situation. And taking that whole broad 30,000 foot view of our circumstances and taking it down to about 20,000 feet... God has decided in his great mercy and his great love for us uh, to begin to redeem everything that is broken, everyone that is lost, everything that is not right. He is, uh, he is dead set on making everything right and, were, and, and, and putting things in order the way uh, it, it was designed to be from uh, the very start of creation. And there is a hinge uh, in the Bible, and that hinge is a way of moving the story from one place to another place, from one direction to another. And if you've ever read uh, just those few short verses in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, you know that that is the moment where God, when he calls Abraham, says... It is on. The things that I'm trying to do to make the world right are going to happen through my people. I'm not going to do it myself, but I'm going to do it through you and ultimately through my son as he comes into the equation. And so I want to look again, like we did last week, at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And in it, we read these words. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people... And your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. Now what I'd like for us to do is just take a look at that set of, of words that have been offered, and to ponder them for just a little bit. And that is, first of all, Abraham is told to go to a place that he has no idea uh, what that place is or what. Uh, what his destiny is at that point. He is just blindly going to a place that he's called to go as a stranger, as an alien, as in a sense, if I can use the word, as an immigrant. And he's going into strange lands as a stranger. And it is only because God's favor is upon him that he can even begin to act in such a a bold move of faith and then God tells Abram that unlike the people who, who are somewhat narcissistic and want to make a name for themselves and just want to kind of be out front and center and say, hey, look at me, God's saying, I'm going to make your name great. And it's going to be so recognizable that people throughout all of time, when you say the word Abraham, They'll just know, and they'll know that you are tied to a story that is a big, big chapter in an unfolding saga that epically ends uh, in the story of my son coming into the world. And that's the kind of fame that God wants for anybody that is going to follow him. The fame that says, Abraham is a somebody because he was called by God to be a part of God's family and to do God's work. And that would apply for everybody that follows after him, including us. And then there is the whole notion of the purpose for Abraham on this planet to begin with. And that is that he could be a source of blessing, not for just a few nations, But for every nation. Because when God looks at all of the people that are on this planet, he views them through the eyes of love. He sees each individual as created, interestingly enough, in his own image. We are a reflection. Of who God is. And it would be like anyone who has a child. You want that child to thrive and to prosper. But you also know that that child isn't always going to do what you want them to do. And yet your love continues on indefinitely. And God says, I want to bless everyone. But I, I know that there are conditions for blessing. And there are conditions where we are feeling the weight of the curse. And so a- Abraham is told, um, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, God says, I'm going to bless you. That means you're going to sense my presence in your life. And at every turn, I'm going to provide for you. And I'm going to meet your needs. And what he's saying to Abraham is essentially just a, 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 a pattern of what God is saying to each of us. And if you read through the Bible, you just see that pattern go all the way Uh, into the life of Jesus and then, then into the life of the church. We're blessed people. A lot of us, we gather every Sunday because God has been good. God has been faithful. And in circumstances beyond our control, way beyond our control, we've learned to lean in on him. And we've learned to see his hand work in ways that we can never fully orchestrate on our own. All of that to say that as you are blessing people, Abraham... I'm going to protect you. I'm going to protect you. So when people set themselves up against you, don't be afraid, because um, because a, a curse will be on them. Because they're working when they're working against you. When you are aligned with me, they are working against my purposes, and my hand of favor will not be on them. I'll, I'll give them over, and we know forces of darkness very readily fill that vacuum. And Abraham is giving these assurances that God's going to be with him, that God's going to work through him, that God's going to protect him, and that as a result of his faithfulness to all of those things, God is going to bless other people through him. And that's his mandate. And that, ironically, uh, has never changed. But here's the problem. The problem is... Abraham is having to do things that are way beyond his control. And if you're like me, you like to be in control of your life. You like to control your circumstances the best that you can. You want to be safe. You want to be empowered to do those things that you feel like you need to do. You want to have the knowledge to understand what you need to do. And uh, you want to have the perspective to know the right things to do. But here's the problem for all of us, is that we can get a little bit confused about this. And what I want to do, first of all, is I want to read, um, read a scenario where Abraham is tested on that very uh, set of promises that unfold throughout the rest of Scripture. And it's a real-life test and it isn't the first time that Abraham has been tested in this way. It's actually the second time. Because if you go on to read Genesis 12, the rest of this chapter that we just read in 12. Uh, he goes into a strange land. He meets a king. And he's told he tells his wife, tell the king you're my sister in case he wants you. He's already afraid. And he's already not trusting God. And it unfolds badly. And it's really kind of an embarrassment because he didn't get it right. Well, Abraham along the way uh, in chapters 13, 14, 15, and and on through is going through a series of tests. One of them being, uh, I'm told I'm going to have a child, that all the nations are going to be blessed through my child. I don't see a child. But then God shows up and says, you're going to have a child. Trust me. And then God, along the way, provides at every turn and shows favor. God even answers Abraham's prayer whenever he is praying for Sodom and Gomorrah and asks, you know, if there are righteous people there, please spare it. And God says, I will, if you can find any. And there weren't any except for Lot and his family. All those things are just a fast-forwarding to Genesis 20. And I'm going to read this. And I'm going to talk a little bit about what's happened in our community and in our church. And hopefully tie all this together in some <laughs> coherent way. All right, just follow along with me if you can. Now Abraham, Abraham moved on, on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said to his wife Sarah, She is my sister then abimelech king of gerar sent to sent for sarah and took her but god came to abimelech in a dream one night and said to him you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken she is a married woman now abimelech had gone near her uh, had not gone near her so he said lord Will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you... And and all who belong to you will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he had told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reasoning for doing this? And Abraham replied and said to myself, There is are, there are surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister and the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. And this, is, this he, he said in Genesis 12. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah's wife to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you, live wherever you like. And to Sarah he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver, this to cover the offenses against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife, his female slaves, so that they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife Sarah. Now... I just have to say, that is a jacked up situation. That is not what God wanted to happen. And yet God, despite Abraham's shortcomings, worked through that and worked it together for good. Now, I just want to back up a little bit. Because do you remember in that initial promise, God said that he'd be with him. God said he would protect him. God said that he would use people, or he would use him to bless other people. And the next thing you know, Abraham's afraid. He's afraid that this king is gonna do harm to him. And he has good reason to be afraid, honestly, uh, because he just saw the aftermath of what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. And you could still see uh, in the rear view mirror the, the clouds of smoke billowing up as a result of uh, what God had done in that very evil place. And so there's almost like this apocalyptic sense uh, in, in, in the background of Abraham's life And now he's going from a very bizarre destruction of evil people to a king that he does not know, that he does not trust, that he's completely and totally afraid of. Going into a strange land with strange people, with strange customs, strange language, and he's saying, I'm afraid. Now, honestly, if you went to a strange land with strange people, with strange customs, and with um, behaviors that you didn't fully comprehend because they were different from the land that you came came from, would you not be afraid? I mean, I know I would. I would definitely be afraid because there would be so much happening that would be so way out of my control. Do you know of any people that are like that that have come to a, a different land, different place, different language, different experiences? questionable resources and certainly anticipating hostility well if you if you do then you know that that's exactly what abraham experienced himself our 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 spiritual father in that sense and in in his life he's looking at that and he's saying where is god in all of this the only difference between abraham though in this case and many of the guatemalan people that i'm thinking of is that abraham clearly had the word of God visited upon him and spoken into his life. But I I don't know about the Guatemalan people, but I do know this. We were called to be a blessing to them. Regardless of our national interests, and we all, have, we all have a vested interest in our country, no question about that. But we are kingdom people, and we first and foremost look at other human beings through the, through the eyes of God and see each person as a reflection of Him. How can we not love people if they're a reflection of God? And I think you have to put that as your top priority. And then you begin to work backwards into the other tricky issues of Boundaries and borders and, and and all of that stuff, but for me, all that stuff is going to disappear eventually anyway, but those souls will not, and so, as a church, we have a responsibility now, for me as well uh, I have, I, as soon as I became aware of Hispanic people coming in into this community I was i 've always been concerned about how how it is that they 're going to be assimilated in a way that won 't create Tensions and violence and gangs and drugs and all of that stuff. And an answer to our prayer has been Ari Salamanca. And Ari has been such a unique person in its whole equation. He's been an assimilation mechanism, helping to establish rapport between law enforcement and hospitals and and schools and every public interest that would affect these people. It's amazing. God has blessed this so richly. The very blessing of Abraham has just come alive here. And it's been interesting, even in our church, because I knew uh, for a while there was this xenophobia, that is the fear of other people and the threat of what's happening. But isn't it amazing how Airy began to just melt down all of those apprehensions? And then when the tutoring happened and we had a few kids trickle in, 15 and then 20 and then, you know, 40 and then sometimes 60. And then all of a sudden everybody's like, I want to adopt those kids. I love those kids. I love, I love especially Maria 1, Maria 2, you know, on and on. If you've ever met these kids, you're like, you know, I wasn't sure about the Guatemalans, but man, I'm in love with these kids. And it's so, been so cool to see that happen. And, 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 and yet in the background, um, uh, you know, as, as myself and Ari and others have tried to take a 20,000-foot view, we've known that um, there, there, there's an employment uh, entity here in, in in Salem that has kind of sketchy uh, tactics in order to integrate um, uh, questionable um, citizens as far as their status goes uh, into the workforce. And we knew that it would just be a matter of time that we'd get a phone call. That there would be a raid. And the question that we brought to the elders the last few years um, uh, in conversation was if if, if if that group of people happened to face a massive immigration issue and they're kids that are affected collaterally, what are we, what are we willing to do? And what I, what I found very gratifying was the spirit of what we read in Genesis 1 through 3, the spirit of trying to be a blessing. Well, there was a willingness to do whatever needed to be done. If we need to take children into our homes, we'll take children into our homes. If we need to provide food, we'll provide food. If we need to provide resources, we'll provide resources. We'll do whatever it takes. And we're not doing it because we want to be good humanitarians. We're doing it because we're called to help. We're called to do things in the name of the Lord. We're not doing it to be a a church that gets a media presence. We're not doing it for any motivation except to honor the Lord and to try to do what he would do. To be Jesus' hands and feet and to be aligned with his heart in, in all these things. So I received a text on I believe it was Wednesday. My wife and I were getting ready to No, it's Tuesday. My wife and I were getting ready to go to the Elm Road drive-in and we we're going to watch a movie together, just her and I. You know, her and I at the drive-in. You know what I'm saying? Well, I don't know what you're thinking, but that's what I'm saying. And uh, she just had yoga which was fantastic. Kendall did an awesome job leading yoga and so many people showed up and so many people were pretty sore the next day. And I'm thinking she's gonna go do yoga and then we're going to the drive-in. And then I get a text from Brian and he told me that there was a raid and we didn't know what would happen. And my first response was, and I think his and all the other staff that were in that conversation was what about the kids? What's gonna happen to the kids? And then next thing you know it, I get a text from Tom, and he just says, all hands on deck. So we all show up. We, have, we don't really have a plan other than we want to do whatever we need to do. And so we got together, we prayed, and we basically said, we don't want this to become some kind of media circus. We don't want uh, little bits and pieces of information to, to, to Come out and say, you know, uh, First Christian Church is doing this and that and blah, 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 and uh, there are larger political issues and First Christian Church is siding with one, one side of the political spectrum or, or another, and the whole narrative just gets sideways. We just wanted to keep our heads low, do what needed to be done. Trust God to do whatever he needed to do through us and leave it at that. And that's really been our position. And a lot of people in the meantime, as this thing began to escalate, uh, started to come up with their own ideas of what was happening here. And what was happening here was essentially um, some of the elders showed, showed up, some of our members showed up, and some of the people from family services showed up. And we began to ask the question, what can we do to help the kids? How many kids are going to be affected by this who's going to be taken into detention and who's going to be left behind and then when Eric came upon the scene he began to tell us basically what we needed to do and that was to go and just to make to take especially the kids that we tutor and and and, and some extended parts of that and to ask the question how are they doing what can we do for them how can we help them who is it that we need to take into our own homes? And so with, with the help of family services, which is a way of saying the government has to vet who goes into somebody's home uh, if they're, if they're you know, not part of your family. Otherwise, it's, believe it or not, kidnapping. And so all of these pieces started to fall together In a way that despite everything and the larger political backdrop, it began to unfold in a way that was orderly and that met the needs of the people in the immediate uh, sense of what, um, what was transpiring. So the Salem High School, they got together. They put some food together uh, in, the, in the cafeteria. They brought it over. We ended up with 60, 70 Guatemalans in our fellowship hall. And, um, and, and then we began to figure out what to do. Thankfully, many, most of the, the kids, I would say, were able to return back to their families. But there were a few that were taken into the homes of, of our members until that could get sorted out. And there were some people that were detained that had paperwork that was in order that we actually, uh, Tom and Ari, went up to Cleveland and retrieved. And, and so there were a lot of things happening very fast. And yet what was so amazing was how each need was met by an appropriate amount of people that were equipped and empowered to handle that need. And it just, it just fell into place. It was beautiful to see God work. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, hopefully, hopefully this will get resolved in a short amount of time and the worst is over. But then um, Brittany goes on vacation that, 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 that morning and then all of a sudden Mary is just barraged with uh, calls from the media. And so we had to get a plan together to figure out how we would respond. And I I just responded very basically and just said simply this. We have a boundary of responsibility here. It's a limited boundary. And that is there are people in need in our community. We are are resourced and equipped to help them in their need. We're going to help provide their basic needs, food, shelter, clothing, and, and whatever resources they need in the meantime. And that's it. And that's our story. And there isn't much beyond that to say, but it is, it is, it isn't a normal Wednesday uh, whenever you come to work and you find that uh, media from Cleveland, Youngstown, Detroit, nationally, Univision, all of these people, they want to know what's going on. and. I honestly don't want to be a part of any of that stuff. The only people they need to know what's going on are our people and the Guatemalan people, and that's really it. Now, you may have different opinions about that, but that's how we've led through it. We're not trying to garner some kind of publicity out of this. We just want to do the Lord's work. And the Bible says that if you go around blabbing to everybody what you're doing, well, then there's your reward right there. So I, I'm not really interested in that. Now other churches have different takes on this and they're responding differently. Um, and one in particular, um, uh, uh, the, the Catholic Church has got a different view of publicity and things like that. So my, my response to media people has been, we're just a small church doing little things for this community, but those guys over there, that's where all the action is. You should go over there and talk to those guys. So that's that's been my response and uh because i i don't have the bandwidth for that i don't have the time or the energy to attend to all of that and and neither do our, our leaders and we're all kind of in agreement there and i'm sure i'm missing a few things in the telling of this that other people say yeah you should have said this or that but i just want you to be aware that we have a narrative that's been occurring for a long time that has been a a building of a foundation of goodwill and blessing to a group of people that we don't know what their immigration status is. And quite honestly, that's not our business. That's the government's job to sort out. They need to handle that because we've called them to do that. And they've done a pretty crappy job over the last decades doing that. So all I can say is those problems, they need to work out. We need to work on our own issues with how we can help them. Now, I am a citizen. I do vote. And I do have political viewpoints. And I do have, and I, and I do know that boundaries are important. Um, and, and so, you know, I've got opinions along those lines. But quite honestly, that's kind of sidebar from what we are doing here. Our purposes, our mission is really centered on, re- on following God's redemptive purpose. As it relates to being a blessing and ultimately a blessing through Christ. And so that's really what we attend to. And I I would say that probably in this room there's a diversity of uh, opinions about things politically. And that's certainly fine. But what I want to, 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 to know and I hope that we have is unity on our understanding that we are a redemptive institution. That is designed to be a blessing to the people that God puts in our path. And Ari, I think, has been a way for God to say, because you you are faithful and you want to do this, I'm going to put a person in your midst who is going to be a responsible steward of the needs of that community relative to this community. And I want you to bless him. And as you bless him, I'm going to bless you. And I want you to take care of him. And as you take care of him, I'll take care of you. And I sincerely believe that God has done exactly that. Now, in the timeline of what's happening, I, I just have three priorities. One is, I want to I protect our church. And our elders want to protect our church. But I also want to protect the goodwill that we have with the Guatemalan community. We've worked very hard to establish good rapport. Why? So that we can share the good news. And we could go and just share the good news and just say, have you heard about Jesus? And they would say, yeah, we've heard about Jesus. But what we want to do is say, have you seen Jesus alive in, 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 in English people? Have you seen him work? Have you seen his love and joy and peace? Have you seen the compassion? Have you seen the caring? And that's when eyes start to open and people start to pay attention. And... I guard that like I guard my most valuable possession. And I'm not the only one. The teachers guard that. The people in healthcare guard that. And I'll, I'll tell you somebody who especially guards that. That's, that's J.T. Panzot. He has been so fair-minded and basically just wanting to get rid of the criminal element and let the larger government officials handle whatever it is, but just to keep the peace in this place. And he had walked through the school and kids had come up to him and hug him and embrace him. But now they look at him like, why did you do this to us? And they have to understand there's a differentiation between the local role that he has in living with, with this community and, and a larger, you know, from beyond role where people are trying to manage a whole country And they're just two different groups of people with really overlapping interest, but not identical interest. And so I'm really concerned about JT right now, because he wants to be a blessing to these people. He wants to show them the love of God through his role and his calling and his vocation. But he also has to uphold the law, which I think he does. And I think we can all say he does an outstanding job making our community safe. But he's broken hearted right now because the credibility that he has has been broken by forces that are larger than him. And that happens along the way. And this gets us back to Abraham because there are large forces at work and there are reasons to be afraid. But when God says he is with you, he is with you. And there are actually unseen angel armies that he's with us with. There are angels that surround us that are God's messengers, that are sources of God's protection. But we do have to ask for their help. We have to ask for their presence to be with the people that God uses to bless other people. Abraham wasn't mature enough in his faith to really understand all those things. It was sort of like him versus the world. And you know, when it's you versus the world, there, there are things that go through your mind. The first one is, is fear. Uh, Abraham was afraid. And so he's like, I am so afraid right now, I'm willing to give my wife to a pharaoh in order to save my own skin. I'm not sure that that's what you call mature thinking for a follower of God. But isn't it amazing how fear makes us irrational? The thing that Abraham had to fall back on is the very thing that we have to fall back on. That God is with us. That God is blessing us. That God will use us to be a blessing. And that um, as a church, that the things that we do in his name that have his leading, God's going to be front and center involved in it. But the only way that you can see that is through the eyes of faith. And I, I, I think I can speak for the people in leadership in our church. We have all been beaten up in life. We have been hit hard on many, many fronts. And the reason why I think God's allowed that is because what it's done for us, is just caused us to lean on God, to learn to trust God, to learn to see God more and more. And so I, I'm glad I have scars. I'm glad I've been beaten up because now... I just know. I'm settled in it. It is just a deep conviction. God is there. God is going to help us. I, I don't worry about it too much. And isn't it interesting, the thing that is sort of the opposite of fear is faith. It's just trust. God's with us. God says he's with us. Then he's with us. Not going to be easy all the time, but he's with us. And I'll tell you, every time I've been beaten up, God said, I'm there on the other side to pick you up. And I'll dust you off and we'll keep going. Are you game? What do you say? No, I quit. No, you just say, okay, I'll trust you more. And fear becomes less and less and less of something that you are preoccupied about. People coming into our country, they their situations are hell holes. There have been policies that have involved our government that have helped to put dictators in place that have created messes. And they're just saying, we wanna provide for our families, we're afraid. But we're more afraid of living in the hellhole than we are coming up there and breaking a few laws if it's gonna provide for our family. Now, that's the rationale. I'm not saying that, you know, it's a perfect situation. But fear is one of those things that everyone has Everyone has it to the degree that they don't have God in the center of their fears. The more God comes close, the more his perfect love casts out all fear. I just want people who are afraid to experience God's perfect love. Secondly, there's power. Now power is something that I wish I knew more about coming into my role because power is everywhere. We use power every day. We're empowered to do things. People use the power of manipulation to get things done through other people. People use the power of persuasion. People use the power of coercion. People use all kinds of power in all kinds of ways every day to get what they want. With God, the greatest power is the empowerment that we have to serve. That's the kind of power that God wants us to use. My big role in my relationship to power is I want to empower other people. I want to equip other people. And I want to help people to know that God gave them empowerment over all of creation in Genesis 2. But the problem is we don't understand power. We don't relate to power very well. And most of the time power gets us into trouble as a leader here i've been very careful in how i manage my relationship to power i know that in my role as a pastor i have some power i know also in the knowledge that i have as in my training that that offers some power but all of those things are a stewardship they're to be leveraged responsibly for the well-being of the people that I'm called to care for. But I see, I have I have lenses that see power in a lot of places. And it's interesting in all the drama that's happened, there's media who wanna come in and use the power of their charm and the power over your narcissism, making you feel good about yourself and you can be front and center and all these eyeballs can see you that's that power is alluring but to me it's counter to our purpose i am not interested and just on and on it goes but there are people who come into our country who have strange customs people who have relationships with each other and it's it's the power is not so much in what you know but who you know There are so many things that are so different that when people come into our country, they just feel vulnerable. They don't really have any power at all except to just kind of hide, go do their jobs, and come back and live constantly in fear. And I just want to put a face on the love of Jesus through the eyes of our people so that fear is dealt with and people are empowered... I have to tell you, and it's wonderful to hear from the teachers and from the tutors. These little kids come in, they have all this potential that God has wired into them. And then there there, there comes a bottleneck or a limiter that says, you can't go beyond this. But when they go into a classroom or when they go into tutoring, the tutors and the teachers look at these kids and they say, Man, I see the potential here. Once they learn how to read, once they learn how to think critically, wow, their humanity is just going to come, 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 come full swing. And isn't it amazing, John? See, you've seen that happen, haven't you? It's, amazing. it's just God's image being released in these lives. And then they're empowered for their own lives. They're empowered to become responsible citizens. But that word power is a scary word that Abraham said, the only power I have is my wife and I'll give her to save my skin. I don't know that Abraham fully got the whole picture. Because God says, I'm the greatest power in the universe and I'm with you. What are you afraid of? I'm going to give you a child when you can't have a child. Well, then there's another word. And that's knowledge. Where were we when we didn't know Jesus and didn't know his word? We're just ignorant. Maybe smart, but ignorant. And the knowledge of who God is and what God says changes everything. And yet we live in a moment in time when the knowledge of the things of God is deplorably absent. And we have, more con- we have more bright and informed, confused people than I've ever seen in my life. It's almost insane. Because the knowledge of God, in Ephesians 1.10, it says, everything is ordered together for a purpose in Jesus. That means the knowledge that you have is ordered in such a way that it finds purpose and meaning and direction. Otherwise, you just have information that's contradictory, that's confusing, that in this setting we'll behave that way in that setting we'll behave that way in another setting we'll behave that way because that's just what the information says to do. But knowledge says we will behave responsibly and morally and godly and righteously, not self-righteously, but humbly in every situation. Because we have the knowledge of God. We have a Bible that tells us this is how you live as a human being. Anywhere and everywhere. And finally, we have perspective. See, the thing that Abraham lost was his perspective. Now here's what fear does. There there are kind of two parts of our brain. There is our more advanced part. It's our frontal lobe. And it's our higher reasoning. And then there's the, the base part of our brain, which is our reptilian brain, they say. I don't know if I buy into all that evolution stuff, but it basically is the fight or flight. It is the anger, it's the lust, it is the, um, it is the fear. It is the one that's just a base drive. And when fear takes over, tunnel vision takes over. And all you think about is fighting or fleeing. When fear takes over, you don't think about anything else because the only part of your brain is your lower reasoning. But when you are established through the process of God working in and through your life, through God even allowing you to get beat up a little bit so that you can lean on him, when you get established, that lower brain just doesn't really kick in like it used to you start to think reasonably about what you're facing. You start asking questions. What's the most important thing to do here? That's how I'll respond. Why is this happening? Maybe you know, maybe you don't know. How are we supposed to respond? We ask God, we use our collective wisdom, and we draw all of these things together for a purpose in Christ. And that honestly is what I've seen happen. Now, Abraham had an opportunity to actually be the good news to a person who, despite his fears, appears to be God-fearing. And yet, Abraham assumed that this king was a threat. And by the king's words, he says, I'm actually not a threat. I I actually have a fear of God. And I actually need to know more about God. But I got to think that the king just wanted to get Abraham on down the road because he was a dra- Abraham was a drama queen and he didn't want anything to do with them. So he said, just go. But I hope that when people look at us, they say, so you're, you're the source of a blessing. Tell me about that blessing. And I hope that through everything that we're experiencing, My prayer is that God can just escalate and elevate our ability to be a blessing to the lives of the people around us. That's why we're called to be a church. And my guess is if that's our intention, God will bless us. It's just his promise. And so we have to stay true to that. Now you'll leave here. You'll have a lot of opinions about what the media is saying, about what TV is saying, about what politicians are saying. I just want to encourage you, don't let that overshadow what God says on the first hour of the first day of the week. And that is, everything that we do has to first of all be established in Him and His will and His purpose. As we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then, by good conscience, and hopefully by good reasoning, vote, be a responsible citizen, do whatever it is that you need to do to make your case, but don't get the two priorities mixed up, because we're only here for a short amount of time. But how long are we with God again? Forever. And that's why we're here. Now, there's a lot more that could be said, but I'm just going to leave it at that. And I hope that as you have been blessed, that you try to be a blessing to all nations, whether it's Judea, Jerusalem, or Judea, or Samaria, or the ends of the earth. That's our commission. And um, so with that said, I I, want to just conclude this message time together with you with an appeal. And that is to be praying for our church, be pray for, praying for these families that whatever, whatever needs to happen will happen in the, in the best way possible. And that whatever we need to do in the interim, that we will have the will to follow God's leading as we respond to the needs as they arise. And I think if you have that, God will orchestrate whatever he's going to orchestrate. And our number one job in each of our roles and capacities is to tune in to that orchestration and to do whatever it is we need to do accordingly. And God will be blessed and people will praise his name. And that's all we want.